Episode 7 of the State of the Old Republic podcast was originally recorded on October 3rd, 2016. It's the State of the Old Republic podcast. week, Bioware gives us a teaser from the upcoming Knights of the Eternal Throne cinematic. Just who is the mysterious figure that we see? Also this week, more music from the game is released. This time, it's five tracks from Knights of the Fallen Empire. The long-awaited Cantina Tour arrives this Friday. What can we expect from the big event? And finally, this episode, I take a look back at Knights of the Fallen Empire. And with that, it's time to make the jump to light speed and check out the State of the Old Republic. Well, welcome to Episode 7 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and as you heard from the opening, I have another great show lined up for you today. I don't have any announcements this week, so let's dive right in and slice the holonet and review the news this week. Well, perhaps the biggest news coming out of Bioware this week was they released a Knights of the Eternal Throne teaser, a little bit of a teaser from their upcoming cinematic. Now, the full cinematic will be revealed on October the 7th, but they tweeted this out with the caption that read, A dangerous Star Wars family grows stronger. Now, in the video, and it was a very short video clip, just just a mere, just a few seconds, but what you saw was a child sitting in the middle of a circle, uh, surrounded by some folks, and looked to be using the Force. And it was very dark, very dark, kind of kind of, kind of creepy. This was not like a, a, a happy setting. It was very ominous. And there's been a lot of speculation about just who this person is. And some, of the th- some people think it's Vitiate, uh, just devouring his first world. Uh, other people have suggested that maybe Valkorian has a fourth child, and this is just an, uh, this, that's, this is the fourth child. Or it could be a young Valkorian himself. Now, as far as my thoughts, I think it's a young Valkorian, which, and of course, you might want to ask, well, what's the difference between that and, and Vitiate? And that's a great question, and I don't really have the answer to it, other than I think they're done with Vitiate. I, I, I really think that they like. Uh, Valkorian, they like Arkan, they like Valen. As, as the as the caption in the tweet said, a dangerous Star Wars family grows stronger, and they're really trying to uh, build a story and and build their world now around this particular family, Valkorian and his children. And I, I theorized in an earlier podcast that our character is actually part of this family, like that like we are Valkorian's progeny, and that's ultimately ultimately where this story is headed. And I, I, I still believe that. I still believe that. And, I, and that's one of the things I'm looking forward to uh, with actually playing the Knights of the Eternal Throne is to see, see if that plays out. But that, that's my belief. So I think the, they want the focus to be on Valkorian. And even though Valkorian and Vitiate are the same person, they're certainly very different characters and seemingly different personalities. And I guess Valkorian is an is sort of an improvement over Vitiate, some sort of evolution. I, I, I don't really know, right? Don't no one no one knows at this point. But I think they'd like to 
focus more on Valkorion than, say, Vitiate. And I think during his time as the Sith Emperor, he was able to sort of go back and forth and kind of simultaneously simultaneously run Zakul and be Valkorion. And at the same time, he was, he was Vitiate. Again, none of this is really clear. But I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I think it's Valkorion. So my top three of those three theories, my top choice, number one, I think it's Valkorion. Number two, maybe a fourth child. And finally, I would be willing to say that, it, that it's Vitiate. So I'm probably wrong. It probably is Vitiate devouring his first world. But I, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to hang my hat on Valkorion. But anyway, the full cinematic will re- be revealed on October the 7th which is the date of the long-awaited Cantina Tour. So let's talk about that for just a moment. And what can we expect from the Cantina Tour? Well, I guess the best way to look at it is to think about what they've done in past Cantina Tours or, or, or even looking back to the Knights of the Fallen Empire expansion announcement. I think it's just going to be like that. Obviously, we're going to get the cinematic. We're hopefully going to get a release date. We'll get some logistical stuff right what is the pricing is it going to be are we just going to pay for the expansion or is it going to be subscription based much like knights of the fallen empire i think it's probably not going to be subscription based i'm guessing it's going to be uh, a sort of a one-time fee but it's going to be delivered in the same fashion that knights of the fallen empire was meaning we'll probably get a bunch of chapters on release then there'll be a little bit of a break and then we'll get a chapter a month until we reach the end. And then hopefully that'll lead us right into whatever the next expansion will be. So that's what I'm expecting. We'll probably hear a bit changes to the level cap. Maybe they'll announce details on specific class changes, which have been data mined all over the place now. I would anticipate... Uh, mention of whatever they're going to do for crew skills. They'll probably tell us, oh, we're going to get more companions and and so forth. Regardless of all that, and of course, they're going to probably talk about the story, and I wouldn't be surprised if we got a, a snippet from one of the the early chapters. Uh, they do like to reveal some of that type of stuff to get us interested, so I'd, I'd expect a little bit of a reveal, in addition to the cinematic, to something in from one of the early chapters, some actual gameplay footage. Regardless, regardless of all that, though, I think all eyes are going to be focused on the end game and what are the plans for group content. I really think they should just lead off with that. They're not going to lead off with that. But I think that's the information that really makes or breaks this announcement, maybe even makes or breaks this expansion. I mean, I don't want to get all gloomy here and apocalyptic, but I, but I just think it's I, I, I think it's important i mean you know as someone who's played a lot of mmos i mean you know you spend the whatever content they give you you spend the majority of your gameplay time at max level and you know in a position where you're going to do end game stuff so if they don't have new flashpoints if they don't have a new operation or two being optimistic here then i don't know i think the expansion announcement is going to be a bit of a disappointment and i think people that's all you'll hear about and people are going to talk about that and whatever else that's going to be really really good will get overshadowed by sort of the negative thoughts surrounding a lack of group content i'm not saying there won't be any group content but i just think that that is the make or break bit of news that'll come out of this cantina tour so i can't wait october 7th just a few more days and there we'll 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 know and i'll cover that in my next podcast which hopefully will be right around the 11th of october 
So also this week is part of their uh, fifth year anniversary celebration. Uh, some brand new music was released. So you could head over to Swotor's YouTube channel and have a listen. But there are five tracks from Knights of the Fallen Empire. All music that if you play the story over and over and over again, you're going to be very familiar with. But it's still fun. I still like the fact that they're they're releasing this music. The five tracks are A War of Errors, Entering Asylum, Arkin, The Inner Flame, The General, and The Endless Swamp, and Valen, The Right Hand. Again, all of this is music that you've heard while playing Knights of the Fallen Empire, and it's now available on their YouTube channel for your listening pleasure. And speaking of Knights of the Fallen Empire, I wanted to spend the rest of this podcast now, while I'm waiting to get good information about Knights of the Eternal Throne, just taking a look back at the expansion, talking about some of the features that were introduced, uh, and going over some of the things I liked, some of the things I didn't like, thinking about what worked and maybe what, what, what didn't work. And I was planning to do this. I thought maybe this is something I would do over a series of podcasts, but I've sort of fallen behind and and wanted to cover other things so i'm going to try and go through as much of this as i can today of course the name of the expansion was knights of the fallen empire but thinking back on it i think an an alternate title that would have worked for uh, this expansion would be the subscription gambit because everything that they did the core changes and everything about this game and what they tried to do was predicated on trying to get people to subscribe to the game and that's what every that's what it was all about it was just it was just trying to to bring in that revenue and if you wanted to play the expansion if you wanted to have access to the story you had to subscribe to the game now they designed it in a way that you could have waited until the end till just past august and after the release of chapter 16 and you could have just subscribed for that one month and you'd have gotten the whole thing you'd had to wait a year to do it but you know that would have been a cheap way to do it. But that's how they that's how they that's how they did it. And I think by all accounts they were they succeeded uh, in their goal. I, I'm a fan of Swotor Economics. If you've seen that site and Andrew over there, uh, back in June he kind of did an analysis of a earnings call from about EA slash Bioware. And and here's a little bit about what he had to say about that. And this is I'm quoting Andrew. He said. He said, the game is doing well enough to appear as the second name attribution for the category's revenue for the fiscal year. This indicated a continued strong position within the category, which has value in terms of the game remaining a large contributor for EA and remaining a development priority moving forward. In other words, it seems like they made money this year, that that their plan to get subscriptions actually was successful and people did subscribe. And the game, whatever financial goals they set out for themselves, could, sounds like they, they may have actually met them. Andrew also went on to write, though, The chasm between the financial success of the game and the state of the once vibrant MMO player base of the game has never been wider. By all discernible metrics, the amount of players and the total amount of playtime in the game appears to have de- decreased significantly in the past 6 to 12 months. Remember, he's writing this in June. The game has been altered to its core and now resembles a TV series nearly as much as an MMO in many ways. As an analyst, there is no longer any doubt that the most, most profitable, path, profitable path has been selected. So in other words, 
They modeled this around gaining subscriptions. It sounds like it worked. However, when you talk to players and ask them, are you really having fun or what are you doing in game? It just seems like there is a lot of dissatisfaction out there. And again, you can point directly to, well, until they released a new Battleground, and I don't really PvP much, so I don't know how well that went over, but there was no no new PvP that came. But there's no new Flashpoints and no new operations and nothing to really do as group content. Yes, and we'll talk about it. So let's jump right into operations of Flashpoints, right? So what did they do? Well, they made it such that all of the existing content, Explosive Conflict, uh, Eternity Vault, Terror from Beyond, all of the existing operations were now at a difficulty level. They were tuned towards level 65, right? They were endgame content. They had all their gear up upgraded, such that you would go in there and get your set bonuses and all this other stuff. And that was what you were meant to do um, with your guildmates and with your friends. And that was to run the old content. But the problem with it is it was old, right? I mean, the, the newest operations were released in 2014 i believe with shadow of revan so they were they were old eternity vault obviously was almost five years it was you know the first expand first operation introduced into the game you know that's talking about nearly five year old content so and it's stuff that players have run over and over and over again and i like this as a concept right on paper i thought this was a good idea i thought it was kind of neat hey you know they're making this stuff relevant and you're a new player to the game you can actually go run eternity vault and get some gear out of it and it seemed like a fun thing to do but it got old very very fast and even i went with my guildmates and we ran eternity vault and caragas palace and yeah the first couple of times that we ran through there it was kind of neat. It was a little bit nostalgic. It was kind of fun to go back and do that. But it got old very, very thin. And I think with operations and really just raids in general, there's a very limited shelf life. And, I mean, the, a new when you release a new one, it's probably only good for four, five, six months at the outset. After six months, it just gets old. You've, you've beaten it. You're sick to death of it. So recycling it and making it new again only goes so far and i think it even has a it just shortens the shelf life now people go in there because it's all there is to do but they're not necessarily happy about it so i think this was a a big problem with knights of the fallen empire and really really the source of just about all the negative all the negative criticism levied at it because i thought the story was pretty good and the story was was everything right that's where a lot of the emphasis was that was to draw people in it was a bit of a longer story than what we'd seen in the past and the way they they broke it out as andrew pointed out resembles a tv series i like that i liked getting the content broken up like that and getting something new each month having a reason to go back and log in each month and see some new content and getting a new patch like that i like that i like that delivery not everybody did, I guess, but I, I enjoyed that. And so if they do that again for Knights of the Eternal Throne, I'll be happy. I don't know about anybody else, but I, I enjoyed that. It really actually kept me engaged a lot longer in the game than I probably would have been otherwise. If they had just given us all the story at once or given us the first nine chapters and then waited till after January and then given us the remaining chapters in one patch, I probably would not have spent as much time playing the game this past year as I I did. So I think that was a, a, a good delivery mechanism. Other changes that they did. I think the big thing here with Knights of the Fallen Empire was this. As miserable as the group 
content was mainly because there was no significant new content for groups. The game, however, was extremely solo friendly. And if you were someone that liked to go in there and just play, experience some story, and do some things on your own, maybe you only had an hour to kill or a couple of hours and just wanted to go muck around, the game was very solo friendly. It was very easy to level. They introduced a lot of solo modes for the various flashpoints so you could go and run those on your own. The Star Fortresses, which were new, were basically designed to have a solo mode and then a slightly harder solo mode, which was labeled as plus two. Even the Eternal Championship, which was introduced last spring, was intended mainly for you to go and do it by yourself. So there was a lot of content there that was designed around a single individual going and and playing them. Rather, it was the story, right? The story was not group content. It was about you and your character, and you were the central figure. Leveling, I mean, you typically did that on your own. And they streamlined the whole leveling process, which I thought was very good, right? And they had new indicators to show you which were sort of like the core quest. Here's your class story. Here's your planet planetary quest. And these were like the main stories. They had a, a mechanism for you to hide what they would refer to as these exploration quests. These were these were just the side quests. They weren't anything new, but you could just sort of hide them and not even be tempted or bothered by them. And just take the, you know, just if you wanted to go from point A to point B, you could do that. You could actually go and level up through some of these flashpoints. And then they introduced this whole planetary level sync, which a lot of people didn't like. I thought from a leveling perspective, it was great. Maybe not so much from a max level perspective, right? Because you go and you get really good gear and then you go out into the world and then you're nerfed. But really, uh, you know, the other thing they did was like those weekly heroics. They took all the planetary heroic requests and they said, all right, you can now go ahead and do these once a week. And you could do them at various levels, which I thought were nice. So again, as you were leveling up, if you needed gear, at least prior to the dark versus light event, you could go ahead and run some of these heroics and get some pretty decent gear. You get some prototype quality gear that was actually pretty good and very, you know, good enough to keep your character strong and going smoothly through the leveling process. So, as I was saying, as I said, the game became very solo friendly, which is nothing wrong with that, right? Except that it's an MMO and people look at, you know, massive and multiplayer. And again, I just think what it comes down to and the bottom line here is had they had group content, flashpoints, and operations, in addition to all this other stuff, this would have been a huge hit. This expansion would have been a huge hit. But all the negativity, I think, just boils down to lack of flashpoints, lack of operations, lack of group content. So uh, enough. I'm, I'm not going to beat that bantha anymore today. So which is to say, I'm probably going to go say some other nice things about the expansion. And really, that and companion influence is probably the only other thing that I probably have some bad things to say about. So let's talk about companions and companions influence. Again, companion changes. I love the companion changes. Well, remember what they did? They made it so that 
every companion could play any role. So that means you could just pull out a companion. You could give him a DPS role if you wanted. You could give him the healing role if you wanted. You could give him the tanking role. And, you know, you could just swap these around anytime you want. You could take a companion and put him into any kind of role that you felt was good. And I used them all. I mean, I, there was times when I did DPS. There was times when I put him in tanking roles and times when I put him in healing roles. And I thought all of that was great. Companions no longer needed gear they no longer benefited from the stats on gear gear was cosmetic only which meant you could just sort of dress up your companions and have them look as good or as bad as you want you could make them look really cool or you could take someone like a quinn who hadn't yet returned to the game and you could just make them look like a complete clown and yet they would be effective in combat for you whatever it's a lot of flexibility the only thing that would have made that better is if they had extended the outfit designer towards the companion. So I thought that was good. The one thing I didn't like about it was they did change some of the weapon that uh, companions used, and I didn't like that. Like Eric Jordan used to use a hand cannon, and now I think he's using rifles or something like that. Did not like that change necessarily. But overall, that change to the companions was, was really, really good. And the whole idea, right, was they wanted it so that you could bring out any companion that you wanted, right? Hey, you have a favorite companion, you can bring out this companion, any companion, any time, and run with them. And just, just kind of base it off of your f- preferences and your favorite and whatever you felt like doing at any given time. And I think that worked. They hit the mark there until they introduced this whole notion of companion influence. And this just kind of blew the whole thing to hell. All right, companion influence was something that you had to level up and it started at whatever one or zero and you got it all the way up to 50 and it is a horrendous grind it is a it is a credit sink it is a time sink it's not fun it's not engaging it's boring it's tedious it just makes you want to pull your hair out and as a result I have, I think, apps ex- between my 20-plus characters, I have exactly one and only one character whose influence level is 50. And a few that might be touching the 40s and a bunch in the 30s, and, a, and, a, and many of them are at least maybe 20, 25, but one and only one that has an influence level 50. And do you need all your companions to be at influence level 50? No. I mean, do you need a companion with that influence level to do most things? No, but I think you should have at least one on every character. And and here's the thing about players of MMOs and their mentality. Whatever it is they're doing, there's like this unwritten rule that you have to find the fastest, most efficient way and find like the best tool to get the job done. So, do you need a companion with influence level 50 to go farm crystals and, and biomats in the endless swamp? No, you don't. But it helps, right? But you're gonna but you do it anyway because well that's the best one you have available. So why wouldn't you? So for the most part, if you were doing things like that, if you were leveling up, you probably weren't gonna have a level 50 uh, companion anyway. But you certainly didn't need that for for leveling. The weekly heroic quest really. You could get by with a companion that was probably, you know, influence level 25, which wasn't that hard to get. So there's a lot of things in the game where you didn't need it. Where it did help, though, were things like the Eternal Championship or those star fortresses, the plus two star fortresses. Having a companion with influence level 50 was really good there. Tactical flashpoints is another one. You know, you kick someone out of the group or someone has to drop or whatever and you're waiting for the group to be filled. 
you could bust out a companion and having one with an influence level 50 really made life a little bit easier. In fact, I, you could argue that sometimes they were probably better than some of the players you get, but that's a topic for another day, I guess. So there are times where I think having a companion with that high influence level really helped. And of course, crew skills. That was the other big change they did, right? So instead of having certain companions tied to specific crew skills, they just changed it so that as their influence level went up, the efficiency with which they completed crew skill tasks and the chance likelihood that they would crit went way up. And so that is an, that is certainly an area where having multiple companions with influence level 50 could make could make a big difference. So what was so bad about this? Well, the problem is it was a really long grind to get to influence level 50. And the way you did it was by handing out companion gifts. And of course, you wanted to make sure you had those legacy perks so you could get the maximum benefit. And you also wanted to make sure you were doing their favorites. So one of the methods of doing it was to go to the fleet and there was a a companion gift vendor on the fleet selling rank one and rank two gifts. Now, I don't think you could get to rank influence level 50 just on rank one gifts alone, but you could get there pretty close. But it was slow and it was expensive. It was going to cost you a few million credits to to, to do that. And handing out gifts was just uh, the worst thing ever because you could only give the gifts one at a time. And it had a cast time associated with it, right? So it was like a three-second cast time. So you click on the gift, and then three seconds later, your companion has the gift, and they get like two points of influence, and then you keep doing this like you know, thousands and thousands of times. And all those gifts cost credit, so it was expensive. So that was really the big gripe about it. And BioWare did attempt to address it um, as the expansion wore on, but they did so by not really fixing it, but rather doubling down on the pain as far as I'm concerned, right? Because if you remember, you could like pop an alacrity buff and that would actually speed up the, the cast time with which and reduce the amount of time, the cast time for giving the gifts. They nerfed that. So what did they do? Well, they decided, well, let's take advantage of this whole legacy perk system. And they added legacy perks in there where you could pay money, lots of credits. And this is like in the millions of credits as well. So they, they made this giant credit sink where you could reduce the cast time of the gift giving. And I don't think it got to the point where it was instant, but it was pretty, pretty close to that. And here's the thing about these legacy perks. There's kind of two varieties. There are the kind where... It applies to every character on your account. And then there's other ones that are, that are per character. They're character specific. And they made this one character specific, which meant that you probably wanted to get it on each and every one of your characters. And depending on how many characters you have, that's millions and millions of credits that you'd be looking to spend just to reduce the cast time. And I don't. what I don't understand is why they didn't just A, either make it instant, right, or B, better yet, you know what, keep the cast time. You know what, you could make it a three-second cast. Heck, raise it up to five seconds. I don't care. As long as you give me the ability to give them a stack of gifts in one swipe, that would have been awesome because you have to give so many gifts for each companion. And that would have been nice, right? I have a stack of gifts in my inventory. I right-click on it. I get that little window and it says, how many would you like to give? And I just choose a number click the button and then fine. You can give me a five second cast time, but uh, you know, if for five seconds, I'm going to give them a thousand gifts all in one. 
that works for me. That works for me. And that would have been better. And, you know, if we only had like five companions per character like we did in the old days, uh, you might have said, all right, this might work. You could probably deal with it. But you don't. I mean, there's like 20 plus companions that you're collecting on any given character. And, you know, multiply that times however many characters you have. And that is why at least I only have one companion whose influence level is 50. And that's why I really hope they change this system moving forward. They don't have to get rid of companion influence, but the the whole method of giving gifts and the rate at which influence is earned needs to change. And it's, I don't know if you realize it, it's very flat in the beginning. So it doesn't take much to get to like level 25, maybe level 30. And then after that, it just steeps way the heck up it's kind of like imagine the settlers in america when they were settling the west and there you are you're moving along the plains of kansas it's slow and it's steady but you're making progress and it's very flat very flat very flat and then boom you leave kansas there's colorado and boom the rocky mountains and yeah and there's the the bulk of your journey right there as you just when you think you're getting closer to the end there it is you're getting hit with this giant wall and that's what the companion influence is you know no one, given how they addressed it with those character perks, I s- imagine that they'll actually just influence, they'll, they'll increase, I should say, the level, the influence level cap from 50 to like 60 in Knights of the Eternal Throne. So that, that, that was one of my big, big negatives with this thing. Just absolutely hate it. And, you know, like I said, you don't, there are only some instances where having a companion at max level like that would help. But still, it's just, just one of the big, annoyances but you know other than that i did enjoy the eternal championship the star fortresses uh you know everything else about it i thought the cartel market packs um had a lot of good items i mean again that's all very subjective but there are a number of things that i found myself buying off the gtn and spending lots of credits on because i thought they looked cool so i thought they did a good job with those those alliance packs so Trying to think what else. I talked about leveling, those weekly heroics, the planetary level sync, companion changes. I mean, crew skills were changed a little bit. I don't really have too much to say, although I did make decent money with augment kits this time around. I hope that stays stays uh, as a source of income moving forward. And so there, there, there you go. So overall, as I said, thought it was a very good expansion. The story was good. I look forward to continuing it. And really the big knock on this thing, as I said before, and I'll, I'll take one more whack at that banta, was the lack of group content. And if they can correct that, and if they can correct that moving forward, I think Knights of the Eternal Throne has the chance of being very, very successful and a big hit. Because, you know, Star Wars is a big deal right now. And in case in case anyone Bioware is listening, you know, you got Rogue One coming out in December, uh, Episode 8. A year later, I mean, everyone is into Star Wars right now. Star Wars has, has has made its way back to the top of the pop culture heap, and people are talking about it. People are enjoying it, and I think you know that is should be helping and feeding this game. And but it is an MMO, and people like to do things in a group. And so with that, I'm starting to hear the music, and it can mean only one thing: that you have managed to survive this half hour listening to episode seven of the State of the Old Republic podcast. And I am your host, Ted, and I do thank you for tuning in. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube, and Buzzsprout. You can listen to the show directly from the show site, which is currently SotorPodcast.com. And I do have an RSS feed where you can subscribe to the podcast directly. If you have a question for the show, 
You can email me at sotorpodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet your questions to at sotorpodcast and be sure to follow me on Twitter to get the latest information on the podcast. So tune in next week for episode eight. And remember the Sith code, cake is alive. Thank you.